0: Blob Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking in Circles. I'm Clayton Caldwell. With Philip Matthew tonight as we break down Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the NASCAR, Monster Energy NASCAR Cup Series event from Indianapolis. Kevin Harvick with the victory lane in the Bay Machine Block of 400 at the Brickyard. The playoff field is set. Two drivers are in, two are out. Um, Harvick won the race. He was in the playoffs anyway with two wins this year, so there was no surprise winner, so... The last two spots went to points. Two are in, two are out. We'll discuss who missed and who made it. We'll also discuss an Ascar Xfinity Series race from Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Kyle Bush going to victory lane there, his final win of the year, his final race in the Xfinity Series of the year as he reaches max at five. We'll also take your phone calls, 917-889-8280. What did you think of this weekend at Indianapolis? Uh, was, were you surprised by who made the playoffs and who didn't? And who's your favorite to win these, this championship? We'll dive into all of that here tonight on Talking in Circles. But first, we'll break down the Big Machine Vodka 400 from the Brickyard. Uh, it was Kevin Harvick in victory lane. Like I said, it's his second career win at Indianapolis uh, and the 48th of his Cup Series career. Uh, a, a nice win for him, a dominant win for him. It's 160 laps. He led 118. without up front most of the day. Um, you know, got by Logano early. And in that run in that last run there and really pulled away from one by over nine sec- uh by over six seconds, excuse me, was the official count there at the end. And he's taking it easy. I'm sure he could have stretched out a lot more. So a nice win for Harvick. And, um, you know, on a day where Stuart Haas, it wasn't exactly the best day. Clint Boyer got into the playoffs. Morris did not. Uh, a little bit of salvaging a little bit of a, of a good day there for Stuart Haas racing Tony and company Got to climb the fence in Indianapolis once again with Kevin Harvick and Victory Lane. Um, but, you know, Harvick and, and Rodney Childers have said we could be like the, the Joey Logano of last year's playoffs where nobody really expects us to win it this year, but we feel like we can win it anytime, anywhere. And I think that was a statement victory for this four car. Um, and, and really, I think if Kevin Harvick and Rodney Childers are together, Phillip, uh, they have a chance of winning this championship. And they proved that, I think, on Sunday.
1: Oh, it was it was a total uh, woodshed whipping by Harvick and and Childers and that whole four team uh, winning in Tony's you know favorite racetrack and the most meaningful track for him in his life. Uh, they to to lead nearly 300 of the 400 miles. It's not shocking in the sense that. Uh, you know, at Indianapolis, it's very difficult to pass. And because of this um, rules package, it's even harder to pass than it really needs to be. Uh, the demo derby that existed uh, due to the great rules package that they have uh, was a part of it. Not how a lot of these people fell out. But when, when push comes to shove, I mean, what is it? Kyle Busch had the fast time for a while. And then Kevin Harvick beat him by like three tenths. And when I saw that time, and I mean, I know that isn't anywhere near the fastest they've ever run at Indy for a qualifying speed, I don't think, or maybe, who knows, because they're running flat out now. But when I saw that, I'm like, this is trouble for everybody. And then he showed it, he went and did, he went and opened a can on him. And, and the fact is for, we talked about Harvick and we talked about they're not doing well for I don't know how many months on this show. And recently, they started to switch it on. They started to figure it out. And they've become the one Ford team that actually legitimately has a shot to win this championship because Joey Logano has basically hit a rut. Uh, The finishing second yesterday is the first time. I think he sniffed the top five in two months or so. Um, Brad Minus is crying about walls and saying stupid stuff. Uh, has not really been a factor in a few months. And there really isn't any other Ford that's there. It, it's basically Kevin Harvick right now. And that that is a statement win, especially when you consider the Gibbs guys for the exception of Denny Hamlin who had a backup car because he wrecked you know, Kyle Bush grenades an engine because they're probably R and Ding stuff. Martin Drex got into a wreck on Pitt Road. And then Eric Jones and Keselowski had their deal. so And so, I mean, in the end, it comes down to Harvick winning number 48. He's one win away from tying his bosom buddy, and he's two wins away from passing him um, a first ballot Hall of Famer. And the point is, Kevin Harvick is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And he didn't really need... He doesn't have to win anything else the rest of his freaking career, but I don't think he's done winning by any stretch of the imagination. So... And credit to Stuart Haas, they are not outside of the four car, they're not very good. But ever since Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick got together, they have been a very prolific uh, combination. And they've both become Hall of Fame worthy in their own distinct, in their own respective roles. So. We'll see what happens that, at Las Vegas because nobody really showed what they really had at Indy because it's a one-off because of the 550 rules package on a flat track is a disaster. So we'll see what happens at Vegas.
0: Yeah, and and I think you're right. I mean, Harvick's really picked it up here of late. You know, the last eight races he's got seven top ten finishes, um, and it just shows you in three wins in that in that same uh, time frame. So it really just shows you what that four car has been capable of. You know, they got off to a little bit of a rocky start this year. I think a lot of people in this rule package have really struggled as far as getting their arms around it consistently for the entire year. We see a lot of drivers and we'll get to them in a little bit, who have who hit on it early and then struggled lately. And then we've seen a lot of drivers who struggled early and have hit on it lately. And it's really shaking the points out a little bit and, and I'll get to, to the guys in a little bit, but you know, Bogano's one of those guys you mentioned. He ran very good yesterday, had a strong day. But I think the run of the day was Bubba Wallace. Uh, Third-place run there, and he didn't really lock into that. I mean, I know track position was a key factor in the race at Indianapolis, but they had some pretty good speed in that 43 car for the first time all year. Uh, And Bubba made some comments on on pit road, which, you know, Bubba's ego sometimes is a little too much for me, I'll be honest with you. But – he he should hang his head high for how they ran at Indianapolis. It was a great run for him. RPM's a team that there was a lot of question marks about that team in the middle of the year, whether or not they would even be here and be continuing for the rest of this year. Uh, they had Derek Stamets, who was a, a first time crew chief on that team this year, as well as, as you're looking left to go to the 34 car. Um, so it was really kind of a struggle early on for Bubba. He's really figured it out, but a nice strong run for him. At Indianapolis on Sunday, uh, what were your thoughts on on Logano and Bubba Wallace's run there at Indianapolis?
1: I mean, for Logano and the Penske team, I mean, uh, all three Penske cars were fast. They were trying to repeat uh, after Brad's win last year. Joey wasn't, you know, in that in the same stratosphere as freaking Kevin Harvick. Nobody was. I think Brian Blaney just kind of kind of wish that restarts kind of went a little different. Uh, he finished seventh. He was kind of mad at Bubba on the one restart. But the fact is I think he probably had the second-best car in in the racetrack uh, yesterday that actually finished. I would venture to say that the 18 and the uh, 42 and uh, – or more or less the 18 and the 2 – and maybe even the 20 had really good cars, but we won't know what the, hell, the heck they had because they wrecked so early or blew up in the case of Kyle Busch running a grenade. Uh, but Joey Logano getting a second-place finish to stop the bleeding is a, is a good thing. Uh, in the end now, he's only two points out a second, albeit 17 points out of the lead after the playoff points all start getting put in there. Uh he's tied with uh Kevin in in fourth place. That's a good uh the kind of like uh, stopping the bleeding, putting a tourniquet on there for the kind of runs they've been having these last couple of months and kinda not being a factor in in a couple of those races. Uh Baba I'm I mean, I know that you and I uh see don't we see differently on him. I've been a fan of his for a long time going back to his K&N days, and they had pace all weekend. That was, they didn't luck into it. They got wrecked on pit, that first pit stop early in the race. They got involved in the Constratina effect and got the left rear corner knocked off of it, and they came up on merit and finished third in a big race. It's his first top five since the 2018 Daytona 500. It's his first top 10 I think, since, um, what was it, November of last year at Phoenix. So it's a big deal for that organization to, after the All-Star Race and making the All-Star Race and possibly going out of business a couple of weeks after that to getting worldwide technologies to um, basically sponsor them the entire year. And with the Victory Junction Gang uh, camps and all that stuff, that whole connection... Uh, they were good at, they were not as good at Darlington probably, they could have done a little better maybe, Uh, they've been, the pace has been there, he said it, that they've had good runs, Bristol, they were there, there's a few races where they've been there and some that they've been off, considering where RCR in general has been this year for a third place finish for one of their customer cars basically, um, and three in the top 15 uh, is really a Great day, and for Bubba, the momentum for all that he's gone through uh, recently and the the haters and all that stuff. I mean, that people aren't going to ever be quiet, and I have my feelings. I honestly think that a lot of people just don't like it because he's because of his skin color, but you know, and the fact he's driving for the king, even though the king doesn't care, but that's a whole other thing. But in the end, they earned that. That third place. Derek Stamitz has been a great crew chief, a great um, replacement. He's a definite upgrade over uh, Drew Blickensdurfer who at the end of the day is much more talk and taking a lot of credit for victories at other organizations with other drivers and really hasn't done a whole heck of a lot. Um, he likes to be on TV and he purports about who he worked with and all that and his father-in-law's Ron Hornaday Jr., but but he's not really that great. So um, the the forty three team, it's not gonna. They're not probably gonna be running there every week by any stretch. But top twenties the rest of the year could be a, a, a possibility, which would be a great thing for them going into twenty twenty.
0: Yeah, and that's really I think you know if you're a team outside the playoffs like Bubble Wallace. That's your goal is to build up momentum, get this team feeling good, and maybe sell some sponsorship next year on that 43 card. We know they were kind of – well, we don't know that, but it was rumored that the 43 had had some financial difficulties before worldwide technology really stepped up for them. Um, And maybe this will be a step in the right direction to say, hey, you know what, maybe with this rule package – and I know there's a few other things that are being mentioned down the line here for these smaller teams that maybe help them, maybe a spending cap coming down the line here in the next couple of years, if not next year – uh, and the Gen 7 car, maybe that's all. Kind of, I think that's a lot. A lot of it's geared toward these smaller operations to help them be a little bit more competitive. Uh, and you know, maybe it's saying, hey, you know what? When everything goes right, we do we perform the way we're supposed to perform, and we have no issues on pit road. Uh, and our engines there, and our and our handling's there. We have the driver are capable of, of going up there. And I think Robert well, Wireless is very capable. I don't, I hope that doesn't. I, I don't mean for that not to, to come off. Uh, I, I think he's a very capable driver, um, but I also think there's a time and a place to where you have to prove yourself before you get a little cocky. And I just think he's just a little bit too cocky for my taste, but some people yeah. like that, and you know what? Um, so be it. You know, uh, If you like that, that's great. It just doesn't fly with me just yet. You know, win a bush race or win a cup race, and then you can start talking the way he talks. Nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero. Here on Talking Circles, we're going through uh, Indianapolis and, and everything that went on there. William Byron was fourth. Clint Boyer, uh, another solid run. And you know, you could say this about Clint Boyer. he had the middle of the year was a real tough uh, run. for a real tough, you know, run, a couple of tough runs for him. If I can speak correctly, uh, for that fourteen car, and uh, it was really, really in a tough spot, you know but he's, he rattled off three consecutive top ten finishes, a seventh at Bristol, a sixth at Darlington, and a fifth at Indianapolis. Um, you know, he hasn't had the most speed in the world, but he did exactly what he needed to do to make the playoffs. And after Michigan, I was really concerned about this 14th team because they hadn't shown the consistency. You know, they went from 10th all the way to 16th in points in a matter of nine races, uh, but they really picked it up in the last three, and bought, those were better racetracks for Clint Porter, Bristol, Darlington, and Indianapolis was able to get himself in. Now he got a lot of help from it. Gary Johnson reckon uh, That helped him a lot. But um, a, a decent day for Clint Boyer. He did exactly what he needed to do to make the playoffs. Um, so he's in. If he, he missed it, he's, he's locked into the playoffs. Also locked in was Ryan Newman, who had a decent day with his eighth-place run with Denny Hamlin sixth, uh, Ryan Blaney seventh. We talked about his day. Blaney had a really fast car. But on a last restart, kind of got shuffled back. Ryan Newman, eighth, Chase Elliott, ninth, and Paul Menard, back-to-back top 10s for the Wood Brothers team there. So a nice job by him. But Newman's sort of in the same boat where, you know, that sixth car got off to a rotten start this year, um, and it seemed like they were bound to miss the playoffs again. He was 18th in the standings uh, after Pocono, but really picked it up, ended up 15th, uh, rattled off a few top 10s when he really needed to get them. Uh, Darlington wasn't the best run for him. They got involved into a new wreck there. Darlington, that really hurt him in a 23rd-place run. But he was able to rebound. uh, He got some stage points. He gets some stage points, and an eighth place run. And Rash Fenley car makes the playoffs. The sixth car makes the playoffs for the first time since Mark Martin was in the sixth car. So, uh, a a nice job by Ryan Newman to get into the playoffs. So uh, Newman and Clint Boyer in the playoffs. Daniel Suarez out. Suarez finished eleventh on on Sunday at Indianapolis just didn't get it done. Uh, you know, tried at the end, they, they took some tires there to try and gain, get some some extra, the tires, get some fresher tires to see if they can make some runs, but they just could not catch Ryan Newman. Newman was able to get some state points in the race, as was Suarez, but it just wasn't enough. They sort of equaled themselves out, so it came down to who finished the highest, and Newman finished eighth, and Suarez was 11th. So Suarez is out, 0 for 3 in his career, and making the playoffs, and so we'll dive into that a little bit more, and then, of course, Jimmy Johnson, his uh, this is the first time in his career. Another very good race car for that 48 car, but a big accident on lap 106 knocked him out of the race. He got loose. Really, it looked like uh, if there wasn't contact, they got close to it between his teammate William Byron and him. Uh, sent Jimmy Johnson to the outside wall. Heavy, heavy damage on a 48. He was never able to recover, uh, and he finished in the 35th position, knocking himself back to 18th in points and out of the playoffs. So uh, Boyer and Newman in, Suarez and Jimmy Johnson out. Uh, what do you have to say about, about those four guys? You know, we talked about Boyer. I don't think it was a big surprise entering this weekend. He sort of did his work the last two weeks. And he, he really was had at a, at a good cushion. All he had to do was really stay out of the wall when he was in the playoffs. But what about the Newman and Suarez battle at the end? And, of course, Jimmy Johnson missing a playoffs? what do you have to think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, in terms of, uh, Newman making it, you know, I think we talked about it last week. We felt like it was kind of going to go chalk. Um, I referenced that <clears throat> the way Jimmy has run at Darlington and way he looked and going to a track where he's won four times, that he would have a chance. He qualified well. He was up there. And the way that it works, you you have to shoot the moon on some of these passes he went three wide on a on on a deal there on a restart william byron crowded him whatever he went into the grass him and kurt bush got together uh he knocked the fence down and destroyed his car kurt bush came back somehow and and finished in the top uh i think the top 5 or top 10 or something like that so it's like at the end of the day you, you for jimmy john i mean talking about all three drivers, because even with Clint Boyer, they'd done enough to try to knock themselves out of the playoffs in prior weeks, and then this last couple, two, three weeks, it almost was like, well, I'm about to lose my job. You know, let me just do what I have to do, and stay on the straight and narrow, and I'll get in. Bugaravich wasn't getting crazy with um, calls either, and they made it, but they're not going to last very long uh I don't really believe that they will even but they we'll talk about it more in detail, i guess, with the points and how everything sets up but uh, i mean New, Newman making it is not surprising, considering what he has kind of done so- this whole year he's been consistent uh you know he's taking the most out of what they have uh with the cars that they have and a year ago they Matt Kenseth won a stage in the Brickyard 400, albeit I don't think they wanted to in that stage, but they kept him out, and he did. Uh, so I don't think that it's surprising, albeit it's a different uh, rules package, that the six-car ran fast of yesterday. It's one of Ryan Newman's better tracks. He's a former winner there. So the fact that he came through and uh, got in It's a credit to the Roush organization in general for as far gone as they've been for so long. Uh, Scott Graves needs a lot of credit for what he has done, uh, bringing that Joe Gibbs uh, experience to the organization, Newman's experience amongst all these different um, uh, teams that he's driven for. Uh, It's been a big deal. For Suarez, I think he could have made it, but in the end, we're talking about 26 weeks. And if at 26 weeks you're on a pit, you have to make a decision on a pit stop of 11 laps to go, whether you're going to take tires or not to try to make a hail Mary shot into the playoffs. You probably don't belong there. I think it's a shame uh, for the 41 team because they made the playoffs last year with Kurt Bush. And um, I don't think Suarez is as bad as it looks being 17th in points. I think theoretically in the last couple of months, he's probably been the second best SHR car. He just has nothing to show for it. Um, I would say that Billy Scott and him are not the best combination. Uh, we talked about that in some episodes. We were talking about where they probably should swap crew chiefs. And I do believe at some point during this playoff, because Clint Boyer's stay is going to be very short. Um, uh, they're gonna probably do a uh chief swap because it's necessary. Uh so that both organiz- but the organization in general is stronger for the twenty twenty season. And Jimmy Johnson, mm. I mean it's unbelievable that um uh, that uh you're more than half the teams in that have competed in every race this year uh make the playoffs in the Monster Energy Cup series and Jimmy Johnson is eighteenth out of that list. I mean, there's 31 cars, 31 drivers have competed in every race this year and Jimmy Johnson is 18th and his three teammates are 7th, 10th and 13th. And they're all in the playoff and none of them theoretically had a big worry. I mean, Chase Elliott definitely didn't have a worry, but you know, Bowman won a race and Byron was consistent enough to make it. It's it's amazing. Uh, I never thought I would, for all those years when he dominated and did all that he did, I never thought in a million years that he'd not make the playoffs, but he didn't belong. He has a near 17. He's finishing basically 17th every week. You can't make the playoffs finishing 17th every week. I mean, albeit Clint Boyer almost made it on his, he made it on an almost 16th average, but he has way more top 10s and way more top 5s. So, it's uh an interesting thing and i'm curious to see where uh the 48 will be this next 10 weeks um thinking that trying to get to number 84 and tie the tie uh, bobby allison and Waltrip is going to be on the cards if he can try to make that happen i don't think it will but it's really something <laughs> it's just crazy but they they basically earned it you they didn't run well enough to make it, and they didn't. So it's it's kind of what it is.
0: Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, talking about everybody who made the playoffs, the Final Four there, the guys in Final Four that, that were ready, racing for two spots. Uh, you know, I thought, boy, I'm impressed with that 14 team because it looked so bad uh, right before they got to Bristol. It was looking bad. And, and I think I might have even said on the show, I don't remember indirectly – I don't remember directly or not, but I might even say that 14 teams out there just – they're just bleeding too badly to stop it. And they went out there and did exactly what they had to do, not only stop the bleeding but run in the top ten. And uh, to me, that's impressive. When you go out and you have to do something and you go out and do it, that's huge. And and it might have stopped uh, Clint Boyer from being in the silly season talk a little bit, saying, okay, he made the playoffs. Um, I was impressed with that. Ryan Newman, again, we talked about it a little bit earlier. That six car, um, since David Reagan, even, he was even there in, in the UPS car. I mean, they've really lost their way right when Reagan got into that race car. Uh, they never really could find their way after that. Bain got in it, and a lot of people thought the world was Trevor Bain and his talent, uh, and they struggled mightily in that six car. And granted, I'm, I, I don't think Roush, even since when Reagan was there in 2009 – I don't think that six car was what it was under Mark Martin. Uh, when Mark Martin was there, I think that was the beginning of the end when of rash Fenway Racing. Um, but they hired Scott Graves. They got Ryan Newman, who's an engineer background. He did a great job this year, no doubt about it. I know he ruffles some feathers, and a lot of people don't like Ryan Newman. And I can understand it because Newman gets a little bit cocky, especially for a guy who runs 17th every week. But he runs his rear end off, and, you know, you have to respect that. Um, and he gets – there's no doubt those, I'm sure the guys on that team know when Ryan Newman's in that sixth car, when Ryan Newman's your driver, there is nobody working harder and trying harder than Ryan Newman. Um, and he proves it again this week, a solid 8th place run to get him into the playoffs. Daniel Suarez, listen, he's 0 for three in the playoffs. I talked about that. He finished outside of top 20 his first two years at Gibbs 17th this year, which means he just missed it this year. Um, I'll say this about Suarez. There's a couple things that I want to say about him. One is next year is a put-up or shut-up year for him. Uh, I'll give him a second year at Stuart Haas. Again, we've talked about Stuart Haas struggling, even on Marola. You know, Erica Marola, I know he was, he was way into the playoffs, but uh, he's nosedived completely. He's only got one top-five finish in the entire year, and this is a guy who was, you know, a, he had a great year last year. So that 10 car has even fallen off, and really the only car that hasn't fallen off was Harvick. Um, So I think Suarez deserves the benefit of the doubt from that standpoint because they're – it's a four-car operation. I was the only Stewart House car to miss, but they're not at their peak. If they're at their peak and he missed, that's a bigger issue than it is to me, than not being at their peak. Um, And he's in his first year there. The other drivers are in their second years there or multiple third or fourth year there. So um, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt here in his first year at Stewart House Racing. But next year is his put-up-or-shut-up year. And I don't really care for his comments on Victory Lane either this weekend. Um, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theorist theories out there, and I never bought it. Even when Junior Nation used to come out and say that Dale Jr. wasn't getting the same stuff when he was at Hendrick Motorsports, um, that the other three Hendrick Motorsports guys, when Dale was struggling all those years at Hendrick. And Mark Martin and Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon were winning pretty much every race, and Dale couldn't even sniff the top 20. And everybody's like, oh, well, he's in a worse race car. I never believed that. I believed there was something wrong with the crew chief, and there was something wrong with the driver, and they could never find it. And Dale came out and said, listen, I was, I was lazy pretty much. You know, I don't know what was wrong with me. I used to look back at what I used to do in 2009, 2010, and say, I was lazy. I did things wrong. Uh, and there's a lot of people. Danica Patrick fans used to say that as well. Well, Danica doesn't get the same equipment that the other drivers do, and I used to point out to the fact, well, you know, when they swapped crew chiefs and entire teams with Kurt Busch, Kurt Busch was way better in that ten race spent, uh that ten race run that he had than uh, Danica Patrick was, and as as this week alluded to it on pit road that he's not, you know, he doesn't have the same, I don't know, if he meant it horsepower, but he basically says he doesn't have the same horsepower, which I believe is nonsense. You know, to me, when you come out, you're a driver, and you can say, well, the driver doesn't mean as much as it used to anymore. Baloney, I think the driver has more to do with it now because it's such a, a thin line. Of of there's such a, a small line of margin of error now, so um, I think the driver has a lot more to do with it now than than it did maybe even 10 years ago. Uh, but to me, you win as a team and you lose as a team. And I don't like the fact that Suarez sort of singled out everybody else but himself and pretty much put the blame on every. It seemed like he put the blame at least to me on everybody else but himself on pit road. Suarez made a lot of mistakes this year, and again, I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt. I think he deserves to be back there next season. But to me, to go out there and sort of call out the team and saying, well, we didn't really have the speed, you're included in that. Um, so I didn't really care for his comments. But, again, I think he deserves another year at Stuart house Racing. There's some people out there who don't believe that. But I believe he does, and, if, and the next year is his big year. Uh, if he puts up and sits there, and, and he's got to win a race next year, I think, and he's really got to make the playoffs, there's no excuse for him not to. Uh, so I, I think he's got to do that. And Jimmy Johnson, of course, you know, I'll say this, I kind of killed him and the 48 team and Rick Hendrick for moving Kevin Mendering out of there. I thought that was kind of a low blow, putting the blame on Kevin Mendering for their struggles when Hendrick was really struggling. But, you know, the finishes didn't back up Jimmy Johnson's claim as far as uh, Cliff Daniels being the right guy for the job, but the speed certainly did because it seemed like when Cliff Daniels got there, for whatever reason, Jimmy Johnson had more speed now. I don't want to hear any more about that Golden Horseshoe up Jimmy's rear end, which he had for, it seemed like, 15 years, where everything seemed to go right for that 48 team. Because the last couple of weeks, he could have used even a tiny bit of that Golden Horseshoe, and he doesn't have it anymore. Uh, Darlington got in a wreck that wasn't his fault. And then Indianapolis, you can argue it was his fault. It was three-wide racing there. Uh, but, again, an accident that probably could have been avoided. Um, and, you know, 10 years ago, it doesn't happen with that Golden Horseshoe. So a little bit of luck for Jimmy Johnson Lived on him good, and maybe even at least made it close to the playoffs, but he's out. And let's just kind of focus on that a little bit. And I know a lot of people don't like focusing on Jimmy Johnson, but that run he had to make the playoffs. And nowadays it's not as um, to me it's not as impressive to make the playoffs every year as it used to be because we take 16 drivers now. But for years we took 10, and even before that we, we took – or excuse me, for years we took 12, and even before that we took 10. And Jimmy made it every year, made the playoffs. It didn't matter what kind of car they switched around, how many times they switched the car. It didn't matter what what rules package we had as far as the uh, inspection went. It didn't matter what kind of rules we had as far as the playoffs were concerned. Jimmy was dominant in pretty much everything he was. So um, very, very impressive. And uh, I I don't know if it's something we're ever going to see again, a driver roll off, what was it, you know, four, uh, 15 consecutive years of making the playoffs. That's pretty, pretty damn good. So um, they have nothing to hang their hat about. Uh, and, and I was impressed even with Jimmy the last couple of weeks where he seemed almost to have that fire lit under him again. I think that's what hurt this team a little bit to start the year, the 48. I think Jimmy was sort of burnt out a little bit. Um, and maybe he needed a new crew chief to kind of sit there and go, hey, Jimmy, let's go. And wake him up a little bit and say, you got only, I believe he's only got next year left in before he calls it a career. Let's race hard. Um, and let's, let's get back to where Jimmy Johnson was. And I think that's sort of the reason why we saw the speed in that 48 car. Uh, but what was all said and done, it was a, uh, you know, a job well done by Boyer and Newman. And, and uh, you know, next year, wait till next year, the Brooklyn Dodgers thing saying for uh, Suarez and uh, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, but this race featured a lot of accidents, Phillip, um, and a lot of attrition. Kyle Bush blowed up, and you're probably right there, probably trying something for the playoffs. Uh, but that was kind of surprising to see because, you know, Joe Gibbs for years was what my brother and I used to call mechanical failure motorsports. They seemed to have uh, every thing under the sun break on them. And this was as recent as five, six years ago. But they figured that out here in recent, in recent history. Um, and they really don't see a blown engine out of that department, especially since they've gone to TRD engines. Um, so that was kind of surprising because Lowski's wreck was, was a big deal. Um, you know, you also saw a wreck with Matt Kipp saw a lot of wrecks this weekend. Uh, Kyle Larson, we talked about Jimmy Johnson at Nauseam. Um, Why do you think the wrecks were up this weekend? Why do you think the attrition rate was up? Now, higher corner speed has a lot to do with that, or do you think it was the fact that maybe these drivers were sitting there going, they only had a certain amount of time to make a pass before the field spread out, and they couldn't make a pass? What were your thoughts on the high attrition rate this weekend at Indianapolis?
1: I think, I mean, he brought up two Uh, great points there were in terms of the higher corner speeds which I mean the idiots in Daytona don't understand that less horsepower and having enormous amounts of downforce and having cars sealed off to the ground means they're going to basically be going wide open it's going to be like slot car racing Uh, they don't seem to get that and we've seen this at Michigan we've seen this at Pocono we've seen this at Flat big flat racetracks that it doesn't work and it didn't work yesterday. It really didn't work yesterday. After about three to five laps, it was just like any other, you know, Indianapolis four fest, Uh, you know, the, and so when you're talking about like guys like Brad Keselowski crowding, um, Eric Jones, in the corner there. I mean, or whichever way you want to look at it. I think Eric Jones may have been a little too late on his move. Brad was trying to make his take a line. They got together. Eric Jones's car got his fuel cell, got shoved right into his back. That's how hard he hit because they're running so fast in the corners. Brad goes and hits the one that hits the safer barrier and then goes and hits the tires and then cries wolf. Um, it doesn't really matter. You're running that hard, 48 laps into a 160-lap race. You kind of earned it. Um, a, it's not, and the point is, those same tires are there for the Indy 500, and it saved, uh, and it saved Felix Rosenquist. So, um, it's the tires were in a good place. Indianapolis is a very safe racetrack, probably the safest racetrack that exists, um, because they're ahead of all the different safety things. Uh, other than that, I mean, I didn't know Parker Kligerman crashed, but then who really cares about Parker Kligerman? Uh, Landing Castle's crash was huge. I mean, they kept on playing the replays of it, and you could hear that wreck. Like, he knocked the wall down with that car, and the fact that he got out of it was huge. I'm a, I am mean, I, I've been a Landing Castle supporter for a long time in the sense that, you know, he's just a good guy and he's kind of gotten a raw deal, but he does the best he can. He knocked the wall down and I'm just glad those cars are safe enough where in a previous time that may have not been the case. Um, Kyle Busch running a grenade is convenient. He had already won the regular season title if he hadn't won the regular season title, I don't think he would have been running a grenade yesterday. But, and especially when you consider that he's a two-time winner there and it was a possibility to go and get more playoff points, I don't really know that that was prob- that was the best idea for Gibbs. But then when you consider they're cheating in the proximity races to try to win, you know, they're trying to figure out what they have to do to, to possibly go and get all four people into the, the playoff. Uh, Kyle Larson's wreck, I didn't see the front end of it. I saw him just trying to drive back and blowing his whole front end off of it, which was dumb um, and unnecessary. Daniel Hemrick was uh, collateral damage in the Jimmy Johnson wreck, and Daniel Hemrick had a good car. He probably would have been up there with his teammates uh, at RCR, got a top 15 finish, but he got taken out in that deal. Jimmy Johnson crowding three wide, we talked about it. It's just Jimmy Johnson in in his heyday wouldn't have made that move. But then also, I think Jimmy Johnson in his heyday would have been nowhere near that. Uh, So, I mean, that's that. And then Matt Tift, I think Suarez dumped him. Or from what I gathered, I think Suarez dumped him for a caution or something like that. Which Matt Tift, I'm no fan of Matt Tift. He's daddy's money. But he was legitimate running top fifteen in the whole day most of the day he was running top 15 they, he was going to get his best finish of his career one of his best finishes of his career on merit and he got taken out and that's an unfortunate deal for a team that's definitely not doing well uh, across the board uh, to go and destroy a good race car is not a, a thing that they really want to have happen regularly so it's a, it's a shame to say the least, for uh, Matt Tiff, too. I, I, it's just uh, they were they kept on playing it up on the on the broadcast. Oh, they're running really hard. It's a playoff preview. No, it's called you can't pass anybody because it's a track that's not meant for stock cars. You can only make moves for three laps, and then everybody gets strung out. You can go and suck up, and you can go and get get a run, but you won't be able to finish it. It's not like indie. It's not like having the old rules so restricted play package back in the early two thousands where you could get runs. It's not like when we had tandems. It's not like any of that. So you're trying to shoot the moon, make it happen, you can't do it. So you're destroying race cars and and the twenty sixteen well I I forget which race it was, Candy Cane's last win, when I think they had twenty something cautions. Like that that was that was a joke. And there were every three laps or four laps are wrecking, you know, and that had nothing to do with air. I mean, they keep on doing different aerodynamic gimmicks at Indianapolis. Uh, mm-hmm. But my goodness, that, that was a joke. And this race was a joke too, in that sense. Uh, but, you know, Indianapolis, I mean, as much as I like Doug Bowles as a, as a P as a as CEO or whatever he is at Indianapolis, they have no business being in stock car racing at Indianapolis. I would hope that this would end uh, because it's a joke at this point. When you're running, when there's 20,000, maybe 15,000 fans, and there's probably 25,000 people in the whole entire place at a place that can hold 350,000 people, it looks awful. So maybe it's time to give it up. Well, I don't think that's happening anytime soon.
0: You know, we're moving this race to July 4th weekend next year, so uh, it should be interesting to see you know, moving the race to a hotter time. Um, I don't understand the point of that, but whatever, without lights. Yeah. But, hey, it is what it is. Um, but, you know, Indianapolis is Indianapolis. I, I, tr- I think part of my disdain for this place comes from the fact that they have tried so many different packages here, and I felt like none of them really worked all that well. Um and you know, we'll see. I think this twenty twenty one car is gonna be a, a complete game changer as compared to the to the aero package and I haven't announced it yet, but I'm hoping that, that you know we kinda of see a little bit where they take the, the side skirts off these race cars and the valence off these race cars, that'd be that'd be a, a major step in the right direction. So we'll see. Um with that and hopefully Indianapolis the races there will improve. Once that happens, because I don't think this race is coming off the schedule anytime soon, because they're still, you know, Harvick. You talking about at Victor Lane how he loves winning there, um, and and how much it is important to him. Even Bill Elliott, I remember when Bill won in two thousand two. We talked about how awesome yep. it was to win there in Indianapolis, and I'm sure it is awesome to win there at Indianapolis. But I think for the NASCAR fan, Indianapolis really doesn't do it for us because we didn't really care about Indianapolis for a long time. So, um, you know, we have Daytona, and that's our that's our baby. You know, so um that that's the way it goes. Nine seven, eighty 8, nine, eight two eight zero to the Xfinity series race a little bit here. Um Bush won it in you know, it was Jeff just, Justin O'Brien's second, no breaks in third, Jim. A solid fourth place run for him and Justin Haley um in fifth. But you talked about it off there that race is Chris Buescher and, and Tyler Reddick really, uh and when they had their accident it it, it changed that race completely. What were your thoughts on the Xfinity Series race uh, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway?
1: I mean, I take it as a missed opportunity for Justin Allgaier. Uh, he had, he passed Kyle Busch like he was standing still, and that doesn't happen in Xfinity race very often. It's kind of like back in the day when Mark Martin was in a race and you beat him. Uh, and Allgaier really had a good chance to win this Uh he wasn't in position because of all the wrecks and all the crap that happened. And then when, when Chris Bell and Tyler Reddick destroyed each other with eight laps to go, that was um, an even freaking awesome injury blew up. I didn't know that, but um, the when Bell and Reddick wrecked each other, they were late. It was similar to what Brad and, and Jones did on Sunday. That changed the whole entire race. It gave Kyle, Bus- gave it back to Kyle Busch. Because once he got in the traffic, he really didn't have the best car, and especially against Allgaier there in the middle, early middle part of that race, he didn't have the best car. Um, but it's whatever, who cares? He's he, I, I think we should just open the rule up so he can win 100 races. We don't have to see him ever drive an extended car again. Because I'm sick and tired of his BS in general. I'm sick and tired of him and everything that involves Kyle Busch. I'm just fed up with it. I'll deal with it on the cup side <laughs> and all the little kids that want to love the and ms car, even though the guy that drives is a tool. Um, but I just don't really care about watching him in an Xfinity car. I don't want him in a truck, even though he drives a truck with his team. Mm-hmm. The fact of the matter is you're watering down the regular, their limited regular season by going and winning five races. Um, it's, you know, you're 33 years old or whatever he is. He's only a couple of years or like a year younger, two, three years younger to me or something like that. It's like you can go and drive trucks at 50. So it's, it's okay. Breck, Braxton will be ready to drive a truck by then. You can go and drive with him. It'll be emotional. It'll be great. They can have it on that crappy CMT show if it lasts past this year. Um, You know, whatever. Um I give... I'll say this about junior motorsports for a year where they have been way off, and they have not really been a factor in general. Uh, second, third, and fourth. Jeb Burton was really emotional um, Saturday afternoon. Uh, the guy who has gotten screwed over, one of the many people in this in this business that's gotten screwed over relative to his talent, um, getting a fourth place finish it was a big deal for him. That eight cars had anybody and everybody drive it. Junebug drove it. The whole entire world tilted on its head when he drove that car last week and got a sixth place finish at Darlington. And Jeb Burton went out there and ran well. And, um, mm-hmm. and it's good for them. And that's good for that organization. I think it sets up well for Justin Allgaier in his run to try to be the fourth driver in the in that uh, final four uh, because everyone talks about Austin Sindrick, to a lesser extent, people have talked about Chase Briscoe, including me, the biased Chase Briscoe fan, but Justin Allgaier has that experience. They have the support. Burdett and him know each other really well. They're, they, they are a sneaky, you know, value as we go through this playoff uh, situation um, other than that, it was a Gibbs benefit, really. The the 18, 19, and 20 were the three fastest cars uh, in practice and qualifying. But Allgaier showed up there. Reddick showed up there as he usually does, because that's Reddick. What Reddick does. Um, Cole Custer really wasn't a factor. Neither was Chase Briscoe, which is not as big of a deal, because there's no track that really like Indianapolis. As, but considering it's Tony's favorite track and it means a lot to him, the fact they didn't really bring as good of equipment there is kind of interesting, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, it, it
0: is. And, you know, Indianapolis, uh, I wish we were running an IRP yeah. for the Xfinity Series race, but um, it, that, that is what it is. And we talked about the playoffs there in the Xfinity series, Um, Not really much has changed. You get some playoff points. Their playoffs start after Las Vegas. I wish they all started at the same time. Remember the trucks? They have an elimination race this weekend at Las Vegas. Their first round's almost over. Um, So uh, the Xfinity Series race starts next week, and then the Cup Series race starts this weekend at Las Vegas Motor Speedway. Their playoffs, race one, is this weekend at Las Vegas, which – you know, we'll we'll discuss this a little bit more in detail next next show on Wednesday. Um, but something else to keep in mind here this weekend for Las Vegas for the Cup Series, it's seven o'clock Eastern Time start on Sunday night for the uh, Cup Series. Um, and to me, it's kind of mind-boggling that they would do that. Now, I I read I think it was pocras tweeted and he knows this stuff. It seems like he gets to the bottom of it of why they decided to do this. Um, but he said it was because they want to get the Las Vegas people out of the heat um, on that day. Well, you could have done it on Saturday, but you're going against Sunday night football in the NFL. You know, yeah. and I know there. I know on almost Sundays we go against the NFL anyway, and we and on if you start at one or two o'clock, you're going against eight, eight or nine games instead of just one. But, you know, Sunday Night Football is on the competitor network. It's on NBC, and you're going to be on NBC-FN, uh going up against it. So um, it's just – it kind of seems pointless there. You know, Las Vegas, is, it's put on some decent racing here. Uh, since they really reconfigured the track, I think it's been a lot better. Um, you know, it's going to be great to see short track there, but that's besides the point. Uh, but it's been a lot better really since they reconfigured the racetrack uh, for the third time. And um, it's Triple Hatter Weekend Truck Series. You see them. It feels like we haven't seen them in forever, the Truck Series, for whatever reason. Uh, They're at Las Vegas this weekend. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch them compete. The Xfinity Series as well, of course, on Saturday. And then, of course, you have the Cup Series race on Sunday uh, at Indianapolis – or, excuse me, at um, Las Vegas Motor Speedway. So uh, it's going to be a lot of fun, and, you know, talking circles will be here. On Wednesday, what I want to do is, and um, hopefully Spence will be with us on Wednesday, uh, what I want to do is, is basically break the Cup Series playoff contenders into three categories. I want to break them off into um, 16. There are 16 drivers, of course. Well, you can do, break it off however many you want, but really have the favorites, who you think is going to, you know, it could be six. I had six guys when I broke it down today. Uh, favorites, contenders, and then bong shots. Uh, I think that's how i will break it down. It'd be a lot of fun to discuss why they're in that category, why we think they'll be in that category. Of course, we'll have we might have some news here. There's a few things going on um, that that I'm ruffling that are ruffling around here, and I want to discuss with you. Follow up here quick, and that the first thing is uh, a potential that I've been hearing through the grapevine a potential of a spending cap in the Cup Series. Now I don't know the details yet of how it's going to work, whether it's going to be per team or per car. Um, but you know it is funny how uh, we've seen some things pop up on on social media here in the last couple of weeks, where it looks like Delara or some kind of company is going to be building the chassis for the 2021 race car, and there's going to be a limited number of chassis you can buy from that organization. And I think that's the beginning of the signs of a spending cap. Now, the source I got that from is pretty solid. Um, and I don't know again I don't know the details very well, but I hear there is a spending cap coming whether or not that I heard it could be as as soon as next season or twenty twenty one. I believe it we might see it next season because when we debuted a car, new car in twenty twenty one, they don't want anybody to get a bigger big advantage. And next year they're gonna start to um re are really R and D for that car and really put a lot of money into into you know, trying to get that car and, and really doing their homework I guess you can say. On that 2021 car. So if they put the spending cap in in 2020, it'll sort of even everything out. Um, but do you think a, a sort of a spending cap could work? Do you like the idea, and um, or, or are you more of a free enterprise person where you look at it and you say, listen, you know what? So what if Kendrick's got 100 million dollars uh, that he puts into his race team, and Jody and and Brad Dari and their race team can only put 30 million dollars into their team? So what? You know that. Rick's worked hard for his money. Uh, Rick's d- done everything he needed to do to uh, get to the front. Um, what is your thoughts on a spending cap um, before I give my, my take on it?
1: I mean, it's been also – it's been talked about in, in Formula One based on their budgets, which are enormous, um, and the lack of teams and, uh, that can stay there and can be sustainable – Based on the new owners, Liberty, who were based out of the United States, in terms of the way NASCAR is gone, and the fact that we have a hard time filling fields in all three series, a uh, spending cap. I think. I mean, it's. It may be the one thing that actually makes the stupid charter system worthwhile. Uh, the reality is you've talked about it and I know you posted about it where we're going to have, you know, six, there's going to be like, every team's going to, there's going to be like six massive teams and that'll be the end of it. At some point there has to be a move where an independent organization can make it and actually be sustainable. There aren't that many Tad and Jody, or Tad and Jody, dissectors out there there aren't that many people anymore that really can go and make it work i mean the Germain racing team are are nowhere near what they were when they were in the truck series um they're basically a waste but you know uh there's small organizations i think of matt Collins. Matt Collig, I also kind of think of Maury Gallagher, who's a rich guy because he has an airplane, so he's a, he has an airline, so he's rich. Uh, I think of Matt Collig, though, and I'm like, would Matt Collig really want to go and move to Cup with his organization? Ten years ago, possibly. Yeah, 20 years ago, <laughs> it would have been a little more more viable. It would have been difficult. And viable because that was when Dodge came back into the sport twenty five years ago or twenty seven years ago when I started watching yeah you know it's 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 a difficult task to go and compete against those big teams, yeah, sure, but the difference is it was possible now you have to be you either are top there there's no middle anymore, there really is no middle in the cup series. And they'll say maybe that's what it was supposed to be. No, it isn't. There was a point years you. ago where there was like about 20 cars that could win a race. Now you could probably name, depending on the racetrack, it's on two hands. And they've limited the field. They keep on narrow, They keep on talking about quality control and all this stuff about narrowing the field. We there used to never be a problem to fill a 43 car field in Cup. Xfinity and a 36 truck field for 25 races. They have 22 or 23 now. There used to be 25 truck races with a proper sponsor, and they used to actually have a really good series. Toyota killed that. Toyota's killed the Xfinity series now. Toyota's killed the truck series, but or Cup series. But you know that's beside the point. That's a separate issue for probably an off-season rant uh, for the show. But the cap is necessary based on the way things are if we ever want to have an independent owner come into the series.
0: Listen, I, I I can't believe how similar we are in this because I said in my, when I heard this uh, to the person that told me, I'm like, listen, this is something five years ago I probably would have gone crazy about. Um, but when you look at a team like, you know, to me, what happened with Barney Visser last year was a major, major, major sign and major red flag to say, we have some big, big, big problems as far as ownership in this sport is concerned. Because, you know, if if we have one person making chassis, again, that's something that I would look at and say, Well, are we gonna be like IROC then? Because that's what we're that's what we're sorting to get and get into is IROC. But at the end of the day, you know, if you do the details of what happened with uh with Barney Visser and that furniture racing team, you know, they kinda got their prices raised up on them. Over there at Joe Gibbs racing, and they were at the mercy of Joe Gibbs racing um, and it became a a championship caliber team became obsolete because they lost one sponsor and it, there was no other sponsor that was really willing to put the foot the bill up for it so that to me was a i think for everybody in the garage area you know when when the bill, when the Bill Davises of the sport leave, when the Tommy Baldwins of the sport leave, those big time guys could give, could give a rat's ass about that but when you see a fellow competitor, a fellow millionaire, maybe even a fellow billionaire leave the sport because it's it finan- doesn't make financial sense to him anymore, I think that woke a lot of people up and said, hey, we need to do something. And really since then, I think this ball has been rolling a little bit to get a spending cap, and I think absolutely it is necessary. Um, and again, it's, there's going to be some things that as an old-school fan – I'm gonna to have to swallow. One of the things is, I love the fact that uh, you know these teams sort of have individuality. That's you know, gonna be gone a lot of this, but I think we've gotten so far out of control. You talk about Matt Why would he want to go to the Cup Series? You know, he's making more money. Mu- he's making in the Xfinity Series. He's running against Cup teams anyway, pretty much. Um, so we'll see. You know, um, I just you know, and, and I, there's so much to dive into this that we can get into, and there's only a minute and a half left in the turtle but. I don't want to hear the fact that a lot of these teams and a lot of these people are going to be losing jobs. Well, you know, that's collateral. I'm sorry. That's the, At the end of the day, you know, salaries are a big part of why these these teams' spending have gotten so out of control, whether it's drivers, whether it's uh, body men, et cetera. So um, maybe that'll – you know, unfortunately, it stinks that people will lose their job, but I think in the long run for the health of this sport, um, a spending cap like that and – a common chassis to where hopefully whoever makes it, and it sounds like it's going to be Delara doesn't raise the cap, doesn't raise the prices so much on them to where it takes the owners and puts them out. Um, I think all of that is a smart move in the right direction. And I'm shocked I'm saying that because I'm a such an old school fan going, oh, you know, just open up the rule books and, and the hell with the, this, this. But I think we've gotten so far out of control. The spending has gotten so insane over the last 10 years that it's very, very needed. Something to keep an eye on. I'm sure we'll hear more of it down the road here, especially recently here if it's going to be in the 2020 season. The talks are really going to have to ramp up. But I kind of wanted to get our initial thoughts and reactions on that here tonight on Talking in Circles. I want to thank Philip Matthew, uh, and we'll see you next time. We'll see you Wednesday night here on Talking in Circles. Good night, everybody.